Scripture passage is from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 15. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has, born, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when he rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search it diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to the rest of the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, uh, with his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gift, gold, and frankincense, and more. And being warned in a dream not to, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Timothy. We are making our way through the Gospel of Matthew and reading verses that you probably only hear around Christmas time. And so you didn't know you were going to come and learn a new Christmas song in October. And yet we, we did this morning. But let me uh, lead us in prayer and ask you to join with me as we look at God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given to us, and we know that your intentions are that your word edifies your people and bears fruit in our lives. And I would ask you to help us to be recipients of this word in such a way that we are humble and we can accept what we hear. And Lord, we would ask that you would speak to us. 
And Lord, I I know that you know every heart in this room. You know our thoughts. You know our needs. And yet you have sent your son into a world that desperately needs you. And each one of us needs you in a particular way today. And Lord, I don't know what that need is, but I know that you do. And so I ask that by your spirit, you would supply our needs. Would you minister to us as we consider your word? And by your spirit, would you uh, grant us hope and strength and a firm foundation for our faith? And may we have hearts that are willing uh, to both worship you and obey and love you and respond to the love that you have shown to us. We thank you for Jesus and for sending him. Jesus, thank you for stepping out of the glories of heaven and into this miserable place in order to bring light and hope. And let the light and the hope of your love, your atoning sacrifice, and your victorious resurrection settle into the hearts of every one of us here today. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We... uh, think about the news of the birth of Jesus. Uh, It's something that we don't often think about, and we think we've heard it all, and so we move quickly over it, and we don't pay much attention. But one of the facts that we discover as we're reading through Matthew is Matthew's the only gospel author who tells us this story about the wise men. No other gospel author tells us this. So Matthew has a particular purpose, which we have uh, talked about a little bit, but one of the things that you should ask when you come to Scripture, ask questions of the text, and one of those would be, why, Matthew, why is this here? Why do you want us to know that wise men from the east traveled at a a great distance and came to Jerusalem? And so we might be edified by what we see. So that's the question that we're asking. And we see in this particular portion of text, these 15 verses, uh, the, the text kind of unfolds in scenes or uh, geographic locations. We start um, in the streets of, of Jerusalem is where we find the, the wise men arriving. Then we move out of there to the assembly room of the king who then asks some questions about the arrival of these guests. We then from there move to Bethlehem, about six miles south of Jerusalem, Uh, and then we have a scene that unfolds there, and then a a dream, and that's the conclusion. Uh, So we're going to just walk our way through this, but we see in the very first two verses, and I'll just read them again, we begin in the streets of Jerusalem. So verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, so they came to Jerusalem, came into the city. They didn't go to Bethlehem, but into the city. And they're asking in the streets, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have now come to worship him. So it's, it's interesting. Matthew doesn't tell us anything about the census that caused Mary and Joseph to leave their hometown of Nazareth and move Uh, to Bethlehem to return. He doesn't tell us about that at all. He doesn't tell us about the angelic vision in in the fields where the glory of the angels shined. He doesn't tell us anything about the shepherds then going and visiting Jesus. He tells us nothing about that. He jumps straight here to these wise men who are Eastern travelers who come. uh, And and so why? What is, is he up to? Uh, he says, wise men from the east. And the, the phrase wise men 
uh, we, we, we might know is, um, we call magi, and that comes from the Greek word uh, magoi, which is, uh, simply means at its broadest level, uh, men of wisdom who studied the stars. So these are educated men who are studying the stars. Why? Probably multiple reasons, but they're looking for some meaning beyond this earth. Some meaning that God has in, in creating, uh, has intended to communicate. And this morning, I got up. I don't know if you were up before the sun, but I went outside and I looked and there was a beautiful array of stars. It was crystal clear, beautiful morning, no clouds at all. And I, I just stopped and wondered, have, knowing this, this is what I'm preaching on. How many of you go out in the night, look up at the stars? Every once in a while, some of you do. Do you ever expect God to show you something? Do, do you, are you looking for God to speak? Because it struck me, these are guys who lose sleep looking for, for God to indicate where he is moving. Right? That's what they're doing. They're looking at the stars, studying the universe, trying to figure out what God is doing. And, and he has revealed himself here to these men who have studied the stars um, and, and are paying attention to things happening beyond this world. So their minds are seekers. You might think they're seeking the wisdom of the Lord. They're seeking a revelation from the Lord. And we find this word magi uh, also in Daniel several times. And it refers to men who uh, understand the times and the seasons of, of Babylon which is probably the origin of this word in that particular region. And, and so these, they're studying, they're intelligent men, they're learned, they're looking for the, the movement of the Lord and, and ready for God to reveal himself. And from the east probably indicates at least three, three places, perhaps Persia, perhaps Babylon, or maybe even Arabia. We know in Babylon there was a, a, a deep-seated uh, study of, the, uh, of astronomy and, and looking at the stars that, that is uh, rooted back long ago. Uh, we also know that um, there, because of the exile of the Jews, there was a religious community. Uh, the Jews remained in that area for an extended period of time. And we also know the, um, that there... Uh, that, that word is rooted there and well as the study was there. So some scholars think that those indicators point to Babylon being the source of origin from these wise men coming from Babylon, which perhaps would have taken them about three months to go around the desert and come down into Jerusalem. Uh, we don't quite know for sure, but Arabia is another uh, suspected place where uh, the early church assumed that these men were from Arabia uh, and the desert portions beyond Jordan and those deserts that connect into Arabia because the oldest extant commentary that we have written in about 160 AD from Justin Martyr indicates, uh, well, he says this, the wise men from Arabia came to Bethlehem and worshiped the child, offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, so this was affirmed by early church fathers, and five times in that commentary, Justin Martyr assumes these men are from Arabia. So that could be true. Uh, another pointer that Arabia is probably the location is that um, the, the frankincense and the myrrh were extracted from trees that only grew in the uh, Arabian area. And so uh, southern Arabia, where there's a little bit more fertile. So it could be that that's where they are from. And another clue that that potentially is right is in Isaiah, for we see a connection. 
Uh, Isaiah has a vision in chapter 60. I'll just read four verses, one to three and then verse six, um, which might give us a little clue that Arabia is possibly the location of where they're from. Isaiah says this in chapter 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has arisen upon you, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, his glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings uh, to the brightness of your rising. And then in verse 6, we see a multitude of camels shall come to you, young camels from Midian and Ephah, and those from Sheba shall come. They will bring gold and frankincense. So here's Isaiah writing at about 700 years prior, and God has granted him a vision of glory arising and kings coming to apparently Jerusalem in order to worship. But beyond this, we see uh, this is probably pointing to the Messiah. And, and Handel, in reading this passage, realized this is, this is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the birth of Jesus. So you recognize this scripture because that's the opening lines of the Messiah. And so uh, this understanding of, uh, well, two places, Midian and Ephah and also Sheba also point to Arabia. Midian and Ephah are the northern parts of Arabia. Sheba is the southern part of Arabia from which we know the queen of Sheba came and visited Solomon during his reign. And what did she bring with her? If you remember the story, she brought gold and lots of spices. One wonders, was myrrh and frankincense among them? So what is happening here? Is this God doing something again among his people in such a way that Gentiles are being drawn in? These wise men were Gentiles. No matter where they're from, any of those regions, Persia, Babylon, or Arabia, they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. Queen of Sheba was not a Jew. She heard of the glory of the kingdom of Israel and made her way to pay homage to Solomon. And this is exactly what we discover these wise men are doing. They are Gentiles coming to Jerusalem to find where is he who was born the king of the Jews? That's incredible. I think that points us to a fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior, not just of the Jews, but also Gentiles. Matthew will repeat this theme again and again and again. We'll see Gentiles coming to Jesus more in the Gospel of Matthew than in anywhere else. And as I mentioned before, we'll see that actually even concluding his Gospel with the, a command to take the Gospel to the Gentiles out into the nations. So this is, this is motivating them as they are moving forward, coming to Jerusalem. They're seeking him who was born the king of the Jews, but they are Gentiles seeking to come and worship. Why? They got a clue by watching the stars. And so we see in verse 2, we saw his star when it rose, and so we have come to worship him. So these men who were looking for God to reveal himself saw something that captured their attention and caused them then to move and go to Jerusalem to find out what was going on. And I, I, there are books and books and books uh, spilled with, uh, filled with ink that uh, probably are guessing at 
uh, planetary alignments and comets and constellations of Jupiter and Saturn, as well as Pisces and some other formations, uh, as given as a reason for what was going on, what was this star that they see. And, and my complaint with all that I have read is they're looking for naturalistic explanations to uh, explain what's happening in, in the sight of, of these magi, these wise men. And I think absolutely something beyond mere natural uh, star, the shining of the stars is going on because we see that the star actually leads them to an exact place. So in life, we are, we are looking for God to reveal himself. The unfolding of this world in a natural way is not going to be the, the explanation for everything. God is behind the natural flow of, of work. Uh, we saw in Psalm 104, um, when, when we go out to work and the animals are uh, asleep at night, we go out in the daytime, there's this beautiful symmetry of how the world unfolds. And, and we are told God's behind it all from the, the way that lions hide in their den to the way the grass grows. God is behind it. He's behind this. I don't have any idea what to make of what is happening in the stars, but what we know, and Matthew offers no explanation here. If you come to the text and you're asked, why doesn't all these questions get answered? It's because it's unimportant to Matthew. What Matthew wants you to see is God did something that got their attention and drew them away from their homeland over into Jerusalem. They traveled a great distance. And so how would they have known to go look for the birth of the king of the Jews? That's one question. What on earth would have driven them to this? And when you think about the way in which the exile caused Jews to leave Jerusalem and then moved into Babylon, and then the Babylonian kingdom also had Jews who were a significant part of that kingdom, right? Daniel was one of the vice presidents, you might think of, of the Babylonian kingdom. He was invited to explain Jewish law. We also see in, in the Medo-Persian Empire under Xerxes, whose wife was a Jew, Queen Esther, right? She was granted the ability to protect Jewish heritage and continue observance of Jewish law. That kingdom spread from Greece all the way in the east, west, I'm sorry, yes, east, Greece in the west and India in the east, that entire kingdom spanned a massive, uh, the Persian Empire, as it was known then, spanned an incredible, we're told in Scripture, 127 provinces. And so the Jewish teaching would have been able to be circulated throughout that entire region as people are, are curious to know what's happening among the Jews as Jews rise to levels and places of prominence like Mordecai and others who uh, stepped into positions of authority. Ezra was commanded by Cyrus to teach Jewish law. And so it's not inconceivable that these wise men who are looking for the movement of God would have studied some of the Jewish texts or at least heard their oral teaching. And so as they have understood um, God's work in the world, and there's one creator God that was unique about Israel. There's one God who is the creator, not many. And so as this teaching would have come uh, across these, 
entire span of geographic area, it's not, it's not a surprise then that the wise men would have picked up and paid attention to some of what they had seen. And then they understand also God is revealing something in the heavenlies that grants them a clue that God is active and on the move. And we also see an ancient prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, uh, which says this, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This dates back to Moses' day when, when this was, was hinted at. And the Jews kept this in their thinking and in their minds, looking forward to the day when God would send a deliverer. These wise men have picked up on this. And they're curious, and they have been willing to leave behind home at great expense and travel at least two, maybe three months in order to arrive in Jerusalem to see this king. And as, as the queen of Sheba came, and, and paid homage to David, that's exactly what they do. And that's what we are told. We have come to worship him. That verb, to worship, simply means to bow down and pay homage. And it's used even of earthly kings. Now, did the wise men understand fully who this newborn child was? I don't, I don't think they fully understood, but they clearly understood God is at work doing amazing things, and we're going to go investigate. And I wonder, when you see God at work in your life, do you pursue what you see? Do you give it enough energy to investigate, or do you just let it go? Because I think Satan would have all of us to be spiritually lazy and simply say, the Bible's too crazy. I can't understand it. Um, I, I don't know what to do. So I just want to give up. I want to encourage you, those of you who don't understand the Bible, keep pressing on. Don't give up. And if you're new in the faith, my wife told me this the other day. She said, one of the best things that happened to me when I first became a Christian is somebody gave me a children's Bible. And so I read a children's Bible and, and got the basic idea of what was happening. If you're new to Christianity and you're striving to understand, get a, get a children's Bible. <laughs> Get a good one. Ask Steve or ask Elisa. I don't know which one she got, but she can refer you to one. Right? And then, then keep going. Don't stop, but keep moving. So don't let difficult... God is complicated, right? Don't let the fact that he is great and immense keep you from seeking him. Seek the Lord with all of your heart because that's what these guys do. And they have gone into the streets of Jerusalem and begun asking questions. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. We know he's here. So where is he? And it's amazing. Nobody seems to know. Jerusalem doesn't know. The Gentiles from far away are aware of what's happening in Israel. And the capital of Israel doesn't know what's happening in Israel. They're asking around. I think they expected to arrive and find a party. I have no biblical basis for that. I think when they got there, they were expecting to see a celebration happening at a new, at a new king who was born. And they don't find anything happening. So they're asking around in the streets. They are expecting to worship. That's what they have come for. They don't find Jerusalem in a place of worship. What they discover is their questions caused problems. Look at verses 3 to 5. So now we move into this, the next little scene will we'll unfold as the assembly of the king. Three to five. When Herod heard their, about their questions in the streets of where's this king? We've, we've come to worship him. He's troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. 
And then assembling chief priests and the scribes uh, of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem. Uh, so that's what the prophet has written. Now, some interesting things here. Herod's troubled. He's, he's the king. Why are, why are, we can understand a rival to the throne might trouble a king. Why is the city troubled? Why are they troubled? What's, what's going on with them? And, and what about Herod causes him to hear, where is he who is born king of the Jews, and conclude it's the Christ? He asks, where is the Christ to be born? So Herod is a troubled king, we discover. I, I looked up the definition of the word troubled. It means to bring about acute emotional distress or turbulence or to cause great mental anxiety. Um, so you might say, Herod was distressed out when he heard this news. All right, silly dad joke, but that's what he is. He's distressed. He's deeply mentally disturbed and, and distressed about this news. And he, he's, he's troubled to the core of his being. He's serious mental anxiety over what is going on. And so is all of the nation. Now, Herod, if you wonder who is this guy, he's an interesting character. Ethnically, he was an Edomite. The Edomites descended from Esau, whose twin brother is Jacob, who, from whom the Israelites descended. So you might say they're distant cousins. So ethnically, he is an Edomite. Religiously, he was raised as a Jew. His grandfather was granted the reign of this region and forced by the Jews in authority at the time to convert to Judaism. So they had to become Jewish under penalty of death. And so they were forced to embrace Judaism. So they began to practice the religion. They were, they were made to go to church, you might say, in, in our language. Um, Herod culturally was Greek. His first language was Greek. He embraced Greek culture. And politically, he was Roman. He sided with the Romans in every significant battle. So he's an interesting guy filled with a mixture of, of all of these uh, cultural influences into his herit heritage. But he knew enough about Jewish teaching to realize the promised Messiah was coming and, and God's word revealed where he was going to be born. So he asked Jewish leaders to tell him, where is this going to happen? And their answer is Bethlehem. For this is what the prophet foretold. This is verse 6. But he's quoting, actually, Micah, uh, Micah 5, 2, and in this portion of verse 4, when you get to the shepherd part. So Micah lived 750 years or so about uh, before Jesus arrived. So this prophecy, again, foretold 700 years or so in advance of when Jesus arrives. And, and I, again, remind you, what's the purpose of prophecy? It's to reveal when something truly happens as a result of God's will. God reveals in advance what he's going to do so that when it happens, we can trust that it's actually from him. So they knew where the, the Messiah was to be born. He was, he was to be born in Bethlehem. And so uh, now we call this little private interview in verse 7. Herod, when he discovers Bethlehem's a location, it's just down the road, six miles or so, he calls the wise men over and he says, hey guys, um, when did you see the star? When did this happen? They tell him. So private interview. He doesn't want anybody to see this. They tell him when it happens. And what we see as the passage goes on, and we'll get to next week, um, in verses, by the way, that's your homework. I forgot to mention this last week. Somebody reminded me. Uh, what's, what's next week? It's the last half of chapter two. 
But when we get to verse 16, we realize Herod commands the death of all of the children, baby boys, in Bethlehem, age two and under. So we can see this, this happened about two years after Jesus' birth. So if, you, if you've got a Christmas card and the wise men are standing next to the shepherds around the manger, it's not actually historically accurate. Uh, there's, there's a great time difference that we're separated by the time these guys visited uh, and, and when the shepherds were able to stand at Jesus' manger. Uh, and so he says, he, he discovers when the star had arisen and they had understood um, this, this call to move. And he says, you know, tell me, uh, go find him. Look at verses 8 and 9. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. Uh, this reminds us of, of uh, people we bump into who will say they are believers, who will, with their mouth, affirm their faith, but their hearts are very far from the Lord. Uh, and we need to be cautioned against this. And this is also a call to examine our own faith. Do, do you genuinely believe in Christ? Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or can you just say it with your mouth? Because we can say lots of stuff with our mouth, but where's your heart? Where is the confidence of the depth of your soul? Is it in Christ Jesus? Because that is where we're called to rest, is in him and his righteousness. Not merely affirm something, but actually live in accordance with it. And so this call to obedience is reminded that there are people who say they're Christians and they're not. And sometimes... They rise to power. Sometimes they have massive global ministries. Sometimes they have huge churches. And then we discover the lives are filled with fraud and sexual immorality and lust and every other kind of thing. And the name of Jesus is destroyed. And people say, I don't want to become a Christian if that's what Christians are like. Or I, I don't want anything to do with Christianity if, if that's what happens. And I would say, there are pretenders in this world. Be on guard, right? We're called to discern the spirits. And that, that calls for some prayerful, earnest pleading with the Lord. And I, and I beg you, don't be a pretender. Don't damage the name of Christ. May God help us who claim the name of Jesus and do not live the way that Jesus lived. And he calls us to obey everything he said, which is mind-blowing, and yet realize he gave you the spirit in order to obey. Because sometimes when I hear Jesus calling complete obedience, I'm thinking, how in the world is that going to happen? I don't have it within me. Yes, you do if you have the spirit of Christ within you. Christians, we are not left alone to live the way that Jesus wants us to live. Do you have the spirit of God within you? Do you have the spirit of the Lord Christ? Without him, we're all pretenders. We're all pretenders if we don't have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us. So Herod sends off these wise men and they arrive, which takes us to the next scene, which is this little house in Bethlehem. Now verses nine to 12. Now you'll see another clue that this is not immediately following the birth of Jesus. This is sometime later. Jesus is not in a manger, and the word that is used to describe Jesus is different in Greek. 
he's not a babe, as it's translated in Luke. He's a child. He's, he's about, he's a toddler at this point. Mary and Joseph have found a house. They're not in a stable anymore. They're living in a house. And so nine, behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The same star. Matthew tells us the same, if you want to call it an astronomical phenomenon, or, or maybe it's an angel. I think it's an angel. It's the glory of God on an angel who's directing them. He, that same star that they had seen in the beginning, way back at home, now guides them to come to where the place was. And when they saw the star, what is their response? Everybody wake up and see this. Verse 10. When they saw the star, what happened? I, you know, we're not told how many there were. Um, we... We so often traditionally think there were three. That's probably because of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There were three gifts. But the Bible doesn't actually tell us. And I know these guys had servants. So I want you to picture this scene, right? When you have been on a long journey and you finally arrive where you're hoping to be, how do you respond? Yes! You know, the kids, finally we're here! We're, we're there. I think these guys, exceedingly great joy, they rejoiced. They finally are at the presence of Jesus. Oh, that the contemplation of Jesus and all of who he is would so thrill your heart that you're willing to get a little bit up out of your seat every once in a while and shout for joy. Oh, that we would approach our, our time alone with Jesus, our daily devotions, with exceeding joy. What are you going to share with me today? Not, oh my gosh, i got to read my Bible. This joy that comes to us who are seeking him and expecting him to arrive. And so great joy. I think this was a celebration that they were thrilled about. They arrive at this house and they go in and what happens? 11 and 12. Going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother. So Joseph must have answered the door. Right? They go in. Come on in, guys. And they see Mary and this little child. And what do they do? They fell down and worshiped him. Imagine someone of great character who has a personality that carries a, a great presence. You've, you've invited him over to your house. He comes with some friends of, of similar weight and gravity of character. They come in and they fall on the floor when they see your kid. They, they worshiped. We're here. And then they open up the boxes that they have, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they give them to them. And then, have you ever imagined what happened after that? What did Mary and Joseph do? Well, Hey guys, do you, do you want some tea? <laughs> Would you, where'd you come from? How, where have you been? Why did, how did you get here? Tell us about this trip. Do, do you want to you hold him? <laughs> you know, if he's a toddler, will he sit still long enough for you to even say hi to? And so th there was an evening they had with them. They stayed. The wise men stayed with them. I don't know if it was a tent set up outside or if they had a guest room. I have no idea, but they stayed there. Because we also get the next scene, which is this dream, right? They were warned, verse 12, being warned in a dream not to return. So they went to sleep that night. 
These wise men had a rest after this incredible journey they've been on. They slept, and while they were dreaming, I don't know if it was one of them who dreamed or all of them dreamed the same dream, but they dreamed and were warned, don't go back to Herod. He's a pretender. He's a faker. Don't go that way. Instead, they decided, okay, we're, we're going to obey what we've seen. We're going to go home a different way. And so they returned to their house in a different way, leaving their gifts and, and then there's another dream. So they left. And then that night, think about Joseph and Mary of contemplate. What was, the, what was the dinner table conversation like that? It's just not every day we get a whole retinue of, you know, officials and wise men. When, Joseph, what are we going to do with the gold? What are we going to do with the myrrh? What about the frankincense? Uh, they go to sleep trying to figure out all that's happening. And then Joseph also has a dream, verses 13 to 15. Now, when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Sounds like the next night to me. Sounds like very soon after they left. They had another dream, and in the dream, an angel of the Lord said, Rise, Joseph, take the child and the mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph immediately obeyed. He rose it's by dark. It does, he doesn't even wait till daylight. He rose, took the child and his mother by night. They departed to Egypt. About 80 miles or so is the journey. And they remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. So what do we see? A, a celebration, a party, a, an incredible event that took place. And then suddenly there's this cloud hanging over their lives of, I mean, maybe Mary thought, God, we finally got some money. Joseph, we can do something. And the next morning, Mary, wake up. We've, we've got to leave right now. Get, get what you need. We've got to get out right now. And what? I mean, where are we going? We're going to Egypt. What, what happened? And the angel told me Herod is going to try to kill our son. And so off they went. But God is not out of control. Right? When crazy, unplanned events happen in your life, the enemy will tell you, God doesn't know what he's doing. This is not unfolding according to plan. And yet, Matthew would say, this is actually right on target. God is doing something. He intends for his son, Jesus, to arrive in Egypt. He's fulfilling something that he spoke through uh, Hosea. Another prophet that lived about 700 years before. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. So God's doing something in Jesus that takes our minds back to when the nation of Israel began to become a nation within Egypt. And, and, and the, the miraculous way in which he's going to provide for them and deliver, he's now doing something in Jesus. So our attention is, is going, what is happening? Why back to Egypt? which often you'll find in the Old Testament, political enemies fled to Egypt for refuge or even from famine. We have Abraham and Jacob also going for famine to Egypt in order to escape uh, famine. So there's lots of fleeing into Egypt for refuge. And yet here, something more than this is happening. And I think what we're going to see, and this is the journey that we're being invited on. What is God doing through Jesus? Why is he doing this? going back, and now Jesus is going to begin to retrace the steps of the entire nation of Israel, except every place that Israel or her leaders failed, Jesus will succeed. He won't give in to sin. He won't falter 
in the wilderness. He won't give in to temptation. He, he, will, he will obey to the point of death. And we see God doing something mighty here through the beginnings of Jesus. So, so Matthew's, he's like Paul in a sin. This is like the trailer for the whole movie that's yet to come. So hang with us as we move through Matthew. And so what, what is the takeaway? A, a couple of things to, to keep in your mind. Jesus is the savior both of Jews and Gentiles. He is the king of the Jews, but we have Gentiles seeking to worship him. This draws me to one truth that is exceedingly controversial, yet affirmed everywhere in scripture. There's only one savior, and his name is Jesus. The Bible again and again points us to the fact, apart from Christ, there is no salvation. And yet what we see, if you are seeking him, God will draw you to himself. Like he brought wise men from far away, all the way across the desert and down into Jerusalem to a little town in Bethlehem to meet Jesus face to face. If you have friends who are seeking him, tell them to keep seeking. Tell them to keep going after Jesus to understand who he is because he alone is the savior. He alone is the son of God and he is the savior of both Jews and Gentiles. So God draws people who seek him. If you're one of those people who are not yet settled on what you believe about Jesus, you're still seeking, I invite you, pray to him and say, will you show me? Will you help me see whether or not this is true? If you keep praying a prayer like that, I guarantee that the Lord will answer and he will direct you. I also am struck by the joy of the Gentiles and the apathy of the city of Jerusalem and the antagonism of Herod. These Gentiles are filled with joy at finding Jesus. Jerusalem is just troubled, confused. Nobody goes with them. Wouldn't you think somebody from the city, some of the scribes, some of the Pharisees would have gone with the wise men as they go to seek? Has, has this king of the Jews really been born? Nobody cares, apparently. And Herod is the opponent. He is actually intending to kill Jesus. Is that probably our, does that cover the range of our disposition towards Christ? What's your internal attitude toward Jesus this morning? Excitement? Some of you are. Apathy? I just don't know. I don't really care either. I just wish you'd shut up so I can go get lunch. <laughs> Maybe. Or, and some of you, this is nuts. You're all nuts. I'm just here to write an article in the newspaper and tell how nutty you are. I, who knows? But this describes the, the, the sort of the spectrum of response. So what's the invitation? I would say, would you not be like these wise men and say, where is he? I just want to worship him. I don't care about the money. I don't care about my job. I, I just want to meet Jesus face to face. Where is he so I can worship him? Where is the son of God? He who was born, King of the Jews, the Christ, the anointed one, the one promised from long ago. We sung about him. He's real. He is alive. And if you seek him, you will find him. So let's, let's pray. And I would like to invite you to do something crazy. These wise men, when they were in the presence of Jesus, they bowed down. They got on their knees. And I want to invite you, if you're physically able, 
we're, we're going to sing in a moment, but I want to invite you, would you just with me, as an expression of your devotion to Jesus, and again, I'm not trying to single anybody out, but isn't it appropriate we bow before him? That we just kneel in his presence. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, would you just close your eyes and so we don't embarrass anyone, but if you're physically able and you want to, would you just turn and kneel right in your chair where you are? And let's just worship him for a moment. Jesus, your word tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God. And we're practicing for that day. And I pray that you give each one of us a heart to obey you. We have all failed. And yet some of us want to overcome our failures. And Jesus, I pray, would you give strength? to us who want to fight against the sin in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you grant salvation? Would you grant victory? Would you grant the kind of wholehearted devotion that we need? Lord, free us from the love of things of this world and deepen in, within us a love for you, Lord Jesus. May we receive exceeding joy from serving you. And Lord, some of us probably are afraid to completely give our lives to you. We, we're afraid to wholeheartedly surrender to you. And yet, Lord, we know you're trustworthy. You are the sovereign son of the one and true living God. You are God. And Lord, I pray that you would overcome any fear of any heart in this room so that we would worship you with fullness of joy. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for the promise that you hear our prayer and that by your spirit you work. And we humbly bow before you and we ask that you would have your way in our lives. Let every heart in this room joyfully say that we are willing to surrender our will to yours. Not our will be done, but yours. And Lord Jesus, we ask this in your precious name. Amen.